Hello, everybody, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast. I am back in action in Chicago, your host, Timuchin, as always, and we have our regular crew. This Monday, we have the galley with the body of the 15-year-old back in action. That clip, I got a couple of messages directly saying they cracked up when they saw that clip today, but uh, how's it going, galley? Oh, it's just wonderful. And as always, we have Paul Bickler with us, who just announced that he loves potatoes more than anything else. What's going on, Paul? That's a true story. I'm I'm well. How are you guys? Ah, uh, pretty good. Any specific format of potatoes, or just potatoes? No, just not sweet potatoes. It's like because that's just like blasphemy in general. Um, <laughs> it's just wrong. Yeah, right. Like don't. I have a real problem with making salty things sweet. Like, I think that's like one of like the devil's cruelest tricks, like kettle corn. Like I just want to set on fire. Um, like, so as long as it's like, like baked potatoes, French fries, even the rare scallop potatoes, mashed potatoes. Yeah. Anything like that. Uh, I just sold a, like, I just sold a, we got a new account at the brewery and they're like, they're a high end cocktail bar. And I went in and they're like, yeah, we do four kinds of French fries with 14 condiments and high-end cocktails. And I was like, cool, I'll be under the bar. Just like, you know, if you need me, just tap me. I'll wake up and come out and get you whatever you need. Shove a French fry down my gullet and shove me back under. Um, so, yes. Just, it counts for my pear shape as well. Never thought we would be talking trash about kettle corn on this podcast. And as a kettle corn lover, popcorn lover, I'm – slightly offended galley do you go salt and sweets I, I mean i can i can handle it it's not my favorite i mean i'm kind of with paul i'm more of the uh i'm more of the salt side on all savory items same here i guess well that was good trivia about our friend Bickler over here that he does love potatoes i might pose this as a podcast like a trivia question down the line but today's trivia question is totally different so I went easy on you guys today. Uh, so it's going to be an easier question. You guys should be able to nail this, I would think. Uh, we're going to talk about League Cup appearances and stuff like that later on in the show. So I figured I would go with that and ask you guys, who has the most League Cup appearances as a Liverpool player? Uh, I don't know why you're waiting, Bickler. We kn you know we're starting with you. Yeah, you know I'm starting with Steven Gerrard. So, like, let's move it on. Let's go. And you should know by now, I go kind of out of my way to make sure the answers to these pop Like, even Galley has figured it out by now that I do not – I go out of my way to make sure Gerrard is not the answer to every trivia over here. So Right, so everyone's now? disappointed. This is going well. <laughs> this is why I love trivia. Brings out the hate in Bickler. More hate than sweet potatoes. Go ahead. This is just straight – League Cup finals appearances or just uh, appearances? See, don't go Bickler on me and I asked you the stuff. Most League Cup appearances. There was no like little thing. That's the spirit galley. <laughs> oh. I genuinely, what did I? I was like, was that an answer? What was that? <laughs> no, it's Domestic a, League Cup or International League Cup? <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the same answer. I think last time I said Ian Rush, it was wrong. I'll go with Ian Rush again because I'm looking for a player who's played long enough for this club. He can make a lot of appearances. Rich Kramer is guessing Lucas. Uh, we're going a lot more further back. Let me give you guys a hint. He has also scored the most goals in League Cup for Liverpool. Come on, people. Let's do this. Cosgrove says Bruce Grubler. I'm assuming he did not hear the last tip. You guys ready for this? We have a winner in BJ. Ian Rush was the answer to the area. I thought this was easy, but... As like always, I have overestimated your kids. Ian Rush, 78 appearances for the League Cup. Like I say, later on in the show, we're going to kind of like talk about uh, who, in terms of like who we want in the League Cup and stuff. There was a lot of talk going on this week. So we will get to that, but we will start with the weekend's game. 
I uh, ended up watching the game afterwards because I was traveling and I kind of watched the first half on the phone. It's just, you know, you can kind of follow the game on the phone, but it's just not the same thing. As big as these phones are, I kind of like need the big screen to see what else is going on and stuff like that. But enough to almost have a heart attack in the second half. Let's start with the starting 11. It was good to see Ox back there and Galley. I mean, pretty much the strongest lineup we can put out there, right? Yeah, that was my comment. Um, I, I basically feel like this is the best 11 right now as far as health and fitness goes that we have with the players available. And I think we saw it for a little bit there in the first half. How about you, Bickler? Is this the lineup you're putting out there if you're – Yes, best 11. I think the Jones-Ox thing is interesting because they're used interchangeably and we see them in both spots. So it's always interesting to see – what iteration we're going to see that and why um, I haven't figured it out yet, but um, yeah, best 11 for sure. So let me ask this then uh, not shocked or did not want to go with Taki, especially, I mean, in generally like going back to what you're saying, Bickler, I do like the Ox and Jones being able to interchange it. You don't know who's playing as nine and who's not and stuff like that. But uh, as a winger, never too big on Ox would rather have him come like from midfield as the middle. I mean, any questioning in terms of why Taki wasn't out there, Gally? I, I mean, let's just come, let's just cut to the chase. I think that, no, there was a period of time. I mean, we've all know I, I am one of the uh, bigger Taki apologists, I guess, and have been waiting for his moment to come. I think Jurgen has come to grips with the fact that he can play a role in the squad, but he's not a starting 11 player for this team, whether we're down a few players or not. And I think his best attribute is coming into a game and making an impact off the bench. And he offers that and he's, that's the player he is. And, and I think that's where the managers realized, I think I've realized it as a supporter and we're better set up having Ox. I mean, obviously in the League Cup semifinal, we were better off having a 17-year-old make his first time. Yeah, good. I mean, good way to look at it, I guess, too. I just, like, wanted, when I first saw the lineups, I was like, ah, Taki is not there up front in the front three is, like, was my thing. But I agree. I thought it was probably, like, the strongest lineup we can put out there with all the injuries and whoever has gone and stuff like that. And then the game starts, Bickler. And I have to say, as I was watching it, I mean, you knew – and the goal did come in early – but you knew it was coming any second. And I have to say, in terms of, like, our play, the passing, how crisp everything looked, those first 20, 25 minutes could possibly be the best we played all season, despite missing, you know, Mo and Mani up top. Yeah, it was a weird one because they came out and sort of hit us right away in the mouth. Like, they had the first, like, real big chance of the match, I felt like. And then it seemed like we responded very early on which was great um it was a weird it was definitely a weird one the fact that like we were so so dominant in those first 25 minutes and you know it just felt like that thing could have easily been like i think of like the arsenal match from a couple of years back where we basically put it in four on them in the first 30 minutes of the match and we could have easily seen that in this one um so yeah i mean it, it was great to see us come out and play like that with that team I felt like that that thing the game was really dictated from the midfield and I thought what was really nice and to see was that like we seemed like we felt very comfortable holding like 90% of the possession, right? And not just possession for the sake of having it, like we really had him hemmed in and I felt like the press was the best that I've seen um in a long time and that's really what makes that whole thing tick when we can get a team pinned in and we're pressing like that, we're almost unplayable. So David says, you know, we used to be brilliant when we went ahead in the games. Now we are so bad. What's going on there is a complacency. And this is what I want to kind of like head towards as we go. So we start out great. The goals are coming in. And like you're saying, Bickler, the press is very effective. Is that Crystal Palace being Crystal Palace and in shock? Because uh, I really thought the lineup they put out there I know why they put that lineup up there, not, not having Benteke out there, for example. But I think it kind of like backfired on them because they had literally nobody to hold the ball at all. 
So we kept coming wave after wave after wave. So do you put that galley on more what we did or more Crystal Palace kind of like not lining up correctly against us? I definitely think Patrick Vieira missed the mark by starting Mateta over Benteke. Um, though when the second half, once they started to, they made their tactical adjustments, the Edward and Mateta worked well and caused a lot of problems for our center backs. But in the first half, it was a real problem for them. And I think not having a target man up front made it impossible for them to get out. At one point in the first half, I think Virgil and and uh, Matip were no more than 20 yards outside of their box. And that was our line. And they had 11 players behind the ball at that point, and they were just completely pegged in. And I think it was right before the second goal happened. Um, I think the big problem that they had in the first half was, was that they were actually kind of letting us have all that possession they weren't doing what they've been doing to other big sides which is trying to actually play football and come at them they were almost sitting back against us and almost defending looking to hit us on the counter and it's really not their game and in the second half you know i know we're going to get to the adjustments that they made in the second half but in that second half we really saw more of what they've done to cause other bigger size problems so far in this season so let's get to that. So Asher says, you know, Crystal Palace switched formations four times and we didn't adjust to it, which I agree. So the second half starts. It's a totally different ball game. suddenly, like a game of two halves, if you will. Because obviously Crystal Palace, I mean, we knew, right, going into that half, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket science to know that they're not going to come out the same exact way the second half because they were getting their heads beaten and it was only a matter of time where it was going to be another, like, seven goal away thing going. Bickler, I mean, why do you think we were not be able to adjust to that? Or, I guess more than adjust, like, even anticipated, like, seeing what they could possibly do? I mean, I think there's a couple things going on here, right? I don't think it had much to do with their personnel. I tend to agree that it had more to do with formation shifts than anything else. I mean, I and I rate Mateta. I don't think they're losing anything by not having Benteki out there. Mateta is a six-foot-four 200-pound Bohemith who scored a world of a first goal for that club. Um, I, I think I think they came out in the second half with obviously some urgency. They definitely got their teeth kicked in at halftime. I don't think it's complacency on our part. I think it's a combination of the fact that they uh, they they made some big time personnel changes in terms of formation that we couldn't adjust to and didn't adjust to. Um, and I think that that's kind of a pattern that's a little bit concerning in the fact that like. I don't, I don't feel like we're, this is a side that makes, that makes tactical adjustments on the fly very well. Um, and I think that that's been an ongoing issue, especially because like, if you, if you see that teams are learning and adjusting to, to, to how we play, like, I don't feel like we're as good at, as adjusting to other sides. Um, and I think that has a little bit to do with our personnel and I think that has to do with our style. Um, I do feel like I do feel like we just we have this one system, this high press system, this high line system that really emphasizes these high flying fullbacks as attackers, um, as uh, as basically fourth and fifth attackers. Um, and I feel like this is a team that doesn't like I, I'm a broken record at this point. This is a team that doesn't know how to bleed out games. It doesn't know how to slow this thing down. And the interesting thing is if we had had if we had played with the possession-based style that we had in the first half when we were fully attacking and Palace sat back, we could have bled this thing out. But I think, you know, when they made those formation shifts and we weren't able to counter, we didn't have that anymore. We, we, like, we went from having, uh, you know, almost 80% possession to like 45% possession in the second half. And that was just – that was the difference. Like, and I don't know the answer to that because like – you know, I don't, I don't see enough of our personnel in terms of what we do and make system changes. I just know that we don't make them very often. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a tactics thing, man. I think it's really down to like our lack of ability to make changes and not only like match formations and have answers that way, but like stylistically, it's like the, to be able to slow down the way that we play. 
um, and bleed these things out. And that's like, you know, that's one thing I admire about City, right? They're super high flying and they can put eight goals on you, but they can also just slow that thing down and just hold on to the ball and make you chase it around. Uh, and I wish we did a little more of that. I thought, for example, like we did that well against Arsenal in the cup game where, you know, once we had the lead, we were like, okay, well, we got the lead and we were able to kind of like control the ball. But so let me play the devil's advocate here because I'm good at that and come and ask you, Gally, because Asher's was saying like we're too set on our 4-3-3 and, you know, like Bickler's talking about, you know, us not being able to make changes or not be willing to make changes. So which one do you think it is? Is it because we are set on that 4-3-3? Is it more like a kind of like an arrogant stubbornness where we're like, this is how we play and if we do it right, doesn't matter what the other team does? Or is it lack of options to be able to make those changes? Especially this game. I think in general, it probably goes more to the stubbornness because uh, obviously we have a deeper squad. But with the kind of like a lack of options, is it more lack of options this week, you think? Or is it more just the stubbornness like this is what we do, it works well, and that's what we go with? I'm going to say lack of options overall because the manager chooses it to be that way. We've talked about the small squad and not liking to switch it up. I think when you don't use a big squad and you don't rotate the squad you have, your tactics will automatically be less because you spend more time focused with the small group of players on a certain uh, tactic. What makes no sense to me is, is we don't alter our tactics as we take leads. You know, we play the high line we play so that we can attack on the front foot and we can keep, you know, the high press on. But when we go up by two goals, we still play a ridiculously high line when we've seen for a half that we've given up opportunity after opportunity to speedy wingers coming in from behind. Yet our fullbacks still bomb forward like they're setting assist records because they are. But do we really need a third or a fourth goal when we're up 2-0? We just need to see our victories. And to me, that was the difference of the title-winning side. What made them just so dominant was, was we'd go up 1-0 in the first half, and I knew the game was over. We just won out games, whether we were playing well, whether we were playing great. We just did. And I don't see that anymore. We're almost back to the old side unfortunately, where we have to outscore everyone. And it doesn't matter if we have a two-goal lead. I'm worried about the mistake that will lead to, you know, the quick goal that then makes this a barn burner until the end. And, you know, it, it is getting a little frustrating. So why do we do that, Bickler? I thought you had Klopp's ear. I mean, why can't we uh, correct it? Or is it a matter of, because I want to talk about this. I actually like, mentioned in the comments earlier about like Matip having some like really weird passes that really threw us under the bus, threw Van Dijk under the bus a couple of times and just kind of like created something out of nothing for Crystal Palace when they were just chasing the ball and we were able to control the ball. But overall... Our center backs, I mean, even Van Dyke. And one thing I want to talk about was there were a couple of situations where he is not himself yet. And we kind of expected that. But does that kind of affect how that high line looks? Well, yeah, 100%. And I think if we look at this season, you know, up until last week, Matip was the only one that hadn't had a major dip in form at any point during the season. And that's the weird thing is we haven't had – we haven't had a stretch where all four have even played average, like straight up average across the board. Like they're at every single stage of the season. One of those four have been off form, like significantly early in the season. Robo forgot how to play a high line at all for like three weeks, which was terrifying. And honestly, the strangest thing that I've ever seen. Um, Trent, you know, he's had like at the beginning of the season, I said, if Trent plays this well for like even half the season, we're going to win the league. And he hasn't. He hit that form and he was like sterling for like a month. And then, you know, he got COVID, dropped off the face of the earth, looked terrible. I still think Trent is suffering. Maybe Sadio is too, almost some form of like long COVID because they look so off it sometimes, so legged. Um, I know Trent has kind of bounced back a little bit, but I still wonder about that. Um, Matip, I, 
I wonder if he's dealing with some sort of illness because he went off at halftime, right? Like the first, the like the first the cup match, and he was so bad. It was like his first touch was gone. It's like he wasn't seeing things very well. He was confused on positioning, and that sort of just can he kind of picked up right where he left off when he got yanked at halftime, and he just looks like it's almost like he doesn't know like where he's at. And that's, it's, it's a little bit scary um, how poor he was. Um, Verge, you know, this was the big thing in the off season. I said, is like, we don't know what Verge or Gomez are going to look like when they get back. We just don't know. Um, And the weirdest thing about him is he's taking, like, you know, he's doing these odd runs upfield. He's pushing the high line way up, which is basically putting Matip on an island um, and making things very difficult. But the major thing, like, for me is, like, the runs and the spacing and the positioning and stuff, that will sort itself out over time. That will probably get resolved. But the thing that I worry about is when he's making these mistakes, he does not have the recovery speed, that top-end pace to get back. Um, in recover. And that's, what's really concerning because that, I don't know if he's going to get back. Um, now, honestly, you know, this kind of like new version of verge without the top end pace is still, in my opinion, better than like 75% of the best center backs in the world. Um, but it is the difference between him being good and great in my opinion. Um, and we, in like, I do think that not having him at a hundred percent has drastically, reduce the effectiveness of the entire back line because he was the leader back there. He is the voice of that back line. Um, yeah, I think we've been real easy to split because he's getting sucked so far up up the pitch. And then you've got, you've got Matip isolated there and he's got to either choose whether he's full, whether he's covering for an advanced Trent or whether he's going to drop back down into the hole and he's caught in no man's land way too many times. Yeah. Cause it feels like if we're caught up on the right side, you know, with that high line, it's because either Trent pushed up or kind of like I was just saying, like he did not have the support defensively on that side. Whereas on the left-hand side with Robo, if we have an issue there, it's because Robo is like behind Van Dyke or something like that, where he's too worried about being able to track back and it kind of like messes up the line on the opposite wing and stuff like that. So it's kind of like two different situations there. But Knowing this, I mean, we're not going to change that high line. We did not change that high line when we had, you know, Phillips and, you know, Williams playing last year. So how do you kind of like see it changing moving forward, Galley? Because it feels like one of these teams is going to catch us on these days and convert. Really, Palace was mistiming runs left and right and were constantly offsides. A more clever opportunistic forwards can really take advantage of this back line right now, especially if that midfield is not on the ball and gives them time. Palace was not able to come out. And a few times where they were able to break through that pass, now you've not only broken through the pass, I mean the press, now you have time. And once you have time with that high line, it's not too difficult to pick a pass as long as your forward is making a proper run. Yeah, I mean... Obviously, we're all hoping that Virgil's speed comes back a little bit. He picks up more and more of his quickness as he gets more and more back to health. I think a big part of this is probably over time is Kanate taking on the role of the primary partner because I think Kanate does give you pace um, and power. So I think that he offers that. Um, you know, why, why was Gomez the number one choice alongside Van Dyke? Because he was actually quicker than Van Dyke, believe it or not. And that was like the amazing part was you had someone with more pace than Virgil, and Virgil could outrun most wingers that were going past. My biggest thing is, is that I feel that Virgil knows he's a step slower. And because he feels he's a step slower, mentally he's trying to cheat every time. I feel like he's constantly trying to take a step forward. And we're seeing that through ball be played where he's trying to almost catch people off sides. And that was the opposite, right? The thing you never saw Virgil do was raise his hand when someone ran by him. Cause if someone was going by him, there was a good chance in Virgil's mind, he might be on side and I'm going to, I'm going to drop back. I'm going to go. Now he's almost like, I know I can't catch up with him. 
So I need to catch him off sides. Like, you know, and I don't want to use Harry Maguire and him in the same sentence, but it, but it, but it, it, it has the same look of those style center backs. It's a John Stones move. If I can't beat you, I will try to trap you or convince the line judge that you were trapped. And he did it twice against Palace. And both times he was left completely standing. There were, I think, Fab and Hendo both times were actually running and tracking back beyond him when he was arguing for the offside. And, you know, that, that makes me nervous. And I don't want to, like, put the whole thing on, like, Van Dyke slightly being slower. Because, I mean, he's not slow still as a center back because, obviously, the starting point was too high. But I think in going back to – I think one of the comments was, I mean, in the past, like, going back to the title-winning year, and actually, like, you know, the entire club era, when we're trying to close out a game, like, really, really close out a game in the last five to ten minutes – we used to have good old Lauren come in, right? Or, you know, or if he wasn't starting, if he was starting, then Matip would come in and we would have three center backs and go back to that formation where there's three center backs and we still have Trent and Robo on the wings and stuff. Why not switch to that a lot earlier in these games where we are clearly struggling? Like, is that, again, stubbornness, Pickler, or we feel like it's too I mean, it's early, not- we don't want to sit too far back? Like, it's – I mean, that specifically isn't stubbornness. You've never seen Klopp do that. You've never seen him go three at the back. I, I can't remember a time at any – I think it was more like five in the back than three in the back, if you will. I mean, he would put that extra center back in there against a team like, I don't know, like Burnley or somebody like that who we knew – you know, we were only up by one, let's say, if it's one zero two one, And we know they're going to start, like, you know, loading the ball into the box and things like that. Like, we would put – like I say, in the last five minutes or whatever, Lovren would come in, Gomez would come in, whoever was not playing would come in and be an extra center back. Right. I mean, you could do that, right? And I guess I suppose we've probably done that with some substitutions, but I think you do that and you have to completely change the tactics on on both fullbacks, which I don't know how effective we've been at that. And if you do that, you think about that. If you're doing that and you're dropping another defender in there, so there's three and then two wingers or quasi-fullbacks, you're essentially taking a man out of the middle of a pitch because like either that or you're taking a, a wide attacker off and you're going two up front. Um, I just think, I think when you do that, you see the midfield a little bit. And I think that's a problem is that we haven't been as dominant in midfield. Um, so I don't know if that's necessarily the answer. Uh, like I, I, this just goes back to the first part of this conversation we had is I just don't, I don't know. I don't know how good we are at adjusting tactically on the fly. Like I can't remember games where we've had to make major like tactical and formation shifts that have won us the game. And like I remember like three or four years ago, it seemed like we were very good at us seeing like three or four formations throughout the course of a match uh, based on personnel. You know, I really don't like so. So maybe Galley's right. Maybe it's just an overall like availability issue where we just don't have enough of the right moving parts to make those tactical adjustments on the fly. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is. I, I wish I did, but I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, my my guess is I think we're not seeing that just because of what's what the bench looks like, which is not the best. So Galley. Before we end the center back conversation, I kind of like move along a bit further in the game because yeah. I want to get to the penalty and stuff like that. But in your mind right now, the ideal center back pairing? The ideal center back pairing for me is still Matip and Van Dyke. I do believe that, you know, Kanate really has to press on and have a more consistent three or four appearances in a row. And I mean, even if that's sporadically when he gets his opportunities, I don't think he's given us three great 90 minute performances yet in a row. And I think it's hard to usurp someone who has arguably been our best defender so far this year. But if we have another week, like we've just had from Matip, you know, coming out of this break, you're going to have to give, Kanate a run with Van Dyke because Gomez is nowhere near uh, at the level. You know, Paul Paul said earlier we had no idea how Virgil would look when he came back. 
we found out how Gomez would look on Sunday. He looks like a homeless person came out from under a bridge about 30 pounds overweight. <laughs> yeah, I think if you could have the old Gomez back, and I says, like, her ideal is Phillips and Van Dyke. I mean, I think, you know, I've spoken about, like, Phillips before. I still don't think he fits the system uh, does not have the pace, and it would only be worse. I think Matzip, in some games, honestly, for the most part of the season, like Bickler says, aside from the last couple of games where he almost looks like he had a concussion and still has not been over it or something like that, I mean, he's been probably our like best center back, especially on home games where he can kind of like come up with the ball and stuff like that. I mean, heck, uh, what was it, Arsenal game? He was like playing like our number 10. He was our best offensive player at the same time. Bickler, before we go on, let me take your uh best pairing right now on top of your head well i think ash is right in the fact that you're never going to see phillips and vbd next to each other and that's for a reason especially because if you're going to have van dyke sucking all the way up front into the midfield uh i would start Cade gordon at center back before i would start nat phillips just because like if you're going to have somebody isolated on an island with van dyke to, up far i want someone with at least the wheels to be able to get back and that's not going to be nat as much as i love him um, it's, it's still Matip for me, uh, still Matip, uh, until proven otherwise, uh, for longer than a week. But yeah, I mean, you're going to have Kanate knocking on the door if there's too much more of the nonsense we saw the last two games from Matip. Um, yeah, I don't have very much, God damn. I wish that like, I don't know. I wish it, it's so crazy to me to have that amount of talent between Van Dyke, Matip, Kanate, and Gomez. And I feel like none of them are really firing at even 80% capacity. They all look like the tanks half full, which is really frustrating. Um, but yeah, Matip, Van Dyke for me still. I agree, especially for home games. I think, you know, if we're going to face maybe a more physical like a number nine or something like that, like we had in the AC Milan game with like a Bramage and stuff like that. I can see Konate being more effective, but I agree with Bickler. I just don't feel as comfortable, I guess, and as confident when he's back there yet. But that's not, you know, due to anything he's done specifically. I think it's just more like we have not seen enough of him to have, you know, confidence like, oh, he's got it. You know, even, you know, we're talking about his pace and everything like that. Even, you know, still with one-on-one, -on -one, I feel like Van Dyke's got this. Part of me worries more this year, but still there's that confidence like he's got this. If nothing else, he's going to be able to slow him down enough to get the back of, you know, the rest of the defense back and stuff like that. So we continue with the game. It's kind of like a Ellison Becker show giving like a goalie clinic. He made, you know, like we all, I always like make fun of these YouTube videos of highlights. He literally made like one YouTube video worth of highlights out of one game. Probably if you're too lazy to dig out other saves from him, you can just pull them up from this game and have a pretty good scouting YouTube video for this guy. And then we get the penalty. I heard a lot of talk about the penalty and about like the refereeing and stuff. And obviously whatever is Liverpool, everybody complains. So the referee decision is actually, let's go back to the Ox goal first. Is Bobby offsides or should, should he have been called offsides in that goal galley? I mean, I think by the letter of the law, like by the way, the law is worded you could argue it either way. And the reason they didn't chalk it off is that both the linesmen and the ref said they saw it and felt it was okay. And I think that's why it wasn't a clear and obvious error and they didn't chalk it off from VAR. I think if the linesman pulls his flag up there, can anyone say anything? Bobby clearly moves his head at it. He tries to head the ball, which could then argue leads the defender to defend his header which then stops him from clearing the ball. But like I learned as a kid, right? Clear the ball. Like what's the first thing? The ball's coming clear. So if the defender really wants to just go clear the ball, he can. You know, I think the, the goalie was trying to kind of argue that by Bobby going to make that, he wasn't in the same position he would have been to defend Ox. That doesn't make any sense to me. But I think by the letter of the law, Bobby made an attempt to play the ball. He was clearly offsides, and they had every right to chalk the goal off. And I would have thrown stuff across 
the living room had it happened. How about you, Bickler? Because when I was watching it live, when the goal happened and they were showing, like, you know, in slow motion what happened, I was like, ah, Vieira is going to overturn this was my initial reaction because I thought they would call that offside. He's clearly in the play. Yeah, I thought it was off. And I'll go even – I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it. Do uh, it. Do it. I watched the City match – and I watched the Liverpool match. And there were some shady calls that City, I thought, deserved and did not get, which is very unlike any City game. If you watch them, they generally get the benefit of the doubt when VAR is involved. Oh, wait, wait. Bickler is going there. Keep yeah, going. I'm Keep going there. <laughs> I thought we had some incredibly favorable calls, which generally doesn't happen. I see Galley just muted himself. That's probably smart. Uh, <laughs> If if I was one of those people, I would put my tinfoil hat on, go out into the woods and say the Premier League is trying to make this thing a little bit closer and more exciting. I'm all for it. I don't want to say it, but if you watch the City highlights and the Liverpool highlights back-to-back, you can make the case. So I can't talk about the City game because, like I said, I was traveling all weekend. We were in New Orleans with the family, and I was, you know, Lucky enough to squeeze in the Liverpool game early in the morning. I did not watch the City game. I was following the score and like kind of like was well, obviously, you know, we'll talk about that, you know, kind of puts us in back in the race, which I thought people kind of like jumped the gun too early on anyway. But are you sharing that tinfoil hat with Bickler there, Gally? Is that no. big enough for two? No, no, that, that hat is not big enough for two. And we're not flipping it over and making it a boat to ride down the river in together either. Um, I, I'm going to pass for now, but I will say this. I, I, I question all of these things when it comes to the, I hate the fix. You know, we just got off a, a weekend of four amazing NFL football games. Right. And if anyone wanted to believe that sports could be fixed, right. It would be four games ending. Like those four happened to end all right around point spreads and right on the road makes a lot of sense. But what I think people missing all this is, is, there is an easy angle for the drama. And I think that's where VAR will always struggle is VAR allows for people to say that the game's fixed because we don't get consistent usage of it, which we don't, this isn't a conversation about the usage of VAR as much as it is why there will always be people like Paul telling us that there could be a little bit of shenanigans happening here. And he might not be that far off. And I know there are a lot of people out there that believe. And I think that it comes from the fact that it, it, it's not uniform. And because there's so much ambiguity in it, you know, that penalty that we saw was no way more of a penalty than Alan St. Maximum getting wiped out in the penalty box the week before and not and they didn't even take a look at it. It just, there's no, there's just no rhyme or reason for what is or isn't a penalty. And I think because we get a subject nature that then brings in officials to correct their own subjectivity, it's just going to keep leading to these types of questions. Because to me, that's a tough, tough situation to apply bar. Yeah, I don't know if I'm wearing the tinfoil hat i don't know if it's just a coincidence uh i did think you know we had some decisions go our way but uh, it's obviously as a fan you're like well it's about time uh but i i still feel like it's a coincidence because if that was an issue which you know i've suspected especially like in the turkish league and stuff like that in the past um on various leagues actually but you would think they would keep it closer and not get it that you know, far off to begin with, especially where we've had some games with City where they've kind of gotten some calls that they probably shouldn't have had. So if they didn't have those, we wouldn't maybe, or, you know, to play devil's advocate, maybe they're like, oh, shit, we really screwed that one up, didn't take our chances, let's make up for it now. So I guess we'll find out if this gets closer and we win the title at the end. But So let's get to the second decision, the penalty, which I personally think is a penalty. And I... I did not even understand why there was so much discussion on it. Is it soft? Yes. Is the goalie an idiot? 
Yes, the goalie is asking for it. And I will say that if that was Mane, he is kind of like fumbling around and falling in such a way where he doesn't get that call. I think Jota acts a bit more smart or, I hate to say it, but Neymar-like where, you know, trying to get a call and he manages to. Just the way he kind of like, you know, knows what the goalie is going to do. And he kind of like puts that body motion like I was going there. See, now I couldn't kind of thing and sells it. But I think by the letter of the law and what by what happened, I thought it was a clear penalty to me. And I didn't even understand why there was so much discussion to it. Bickler, take the foil hat off. What do you think about this one? Yeah, so you and I are going to be firmly in the minority on this. And I think it was a pen as well. A lot of people have an issue with the fact that when you slow it down, uh, you know, Jota looks like he leans into the path of the keeper, uh, which was uh, the other direction from where the ball was. So I can understand that. The other issue is that a lot of people think that, like, it wasn't an obvious goal-scoring opportunity because the ball was gone already. The actual letter of the law and the rule is that it doesn't doesn't matter where the ball is, okay? You come out as a keeper and you make contact and you don't get ball, it's a pen. And that's what happened. So, like, all that being said, if it's 2-1 and that penalty goes against us in the other box and it's tied 2-2, I'm probably burning things to the ground today. So I understand – I, I definitely understand why people are upset about it. Um, maybe not so much our fans. Our fans were – it was weird how our fans were like temporary Dallas fans. Like, I was like, yeah. you guys, we're, we're trying to win this thing, right? Like, yeah, people like, were outraged that we yeah. had that call. <laughs> yeah. It was like – it's like, oh, Facebook's all Steven Gerrard and Aston Villa and uh, mad about this penalty. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think, Galley? A penalty or no? So it, it's definitely a penalty. It's a penalty because the laws are pretty clear. And the guy cleared out the player. Now, I'll say this. That's a classic example of a player winning a penalty. And I do not mean by any means it was a dive. I don't think he's a cheat. I don't want hate mail. And if you want to send some hate mail, send it to Galley. I'm good with it. I'm going to put the email uh, address right here as you're saying. Yeah, we'll go down in the messages as we speak. But in, in, in all seriousness, I, I have no problem with saying he won the penalty because that's what he did. He did lean in. He knew what was happening. The ball got away from him. The keeper was coming. He knew there was going to be contact, and he made sure by leaning in slightly. And it wasn't like an egregious dive. There was no simulation. But he leaned in. He made sure that the keeper came across the top of his thigh, which would take him straight to the ground, so that there would be enough contact to warrant a penalty. And I think in classic fashion, the EPL refs get it wrong because they're afraid to call what they see. It was right in front of his face. There's no reason to miss it. He didn't want to call the contact, so he waited for the screen to, to wait five minutes to send him to the screen, and then he called it the penalty that it was. You know, but I'll say this for all the people out there on Facebook that were whining and crying and, and bitching and complaining. I never once whined or cried when Luis Suarez would dive, take a seven foot step and jump down on and dive down on the floor. I didn't like it. Right. When, when it, we would kind of laugh at it, but if you're awarded a penalty, you should root for your team to score and you should never go to social media to basically talk against a decision that's given against your side. Root for the team. Please, people, get over yourself. Like I say, I can understand discussing it. I just didn't understand the outrage over it. Like, it's one thing to, like, kind of like talk about it, like how we're talking now, what we thought of the call and stuff. But there was almost, like, people were mad. They were, like, like it was almost like, we don't want to win like this if this is what it means. I mean, and I thought, you know, yeah, I'm mean, like I said, I think if – a player who's a bit more naive or uh, I don't know what the correct word is. And that my that was my initial thought. When I saw it, I was like, it's a penalty. And kind of like you're saying, it's an earned penalty. Jota plays it smart to get that penalty. Right. And my initial reaction was, 
and Mane was named because I've we've seen situations like this with Mane where the way he falls, like Mane would go towards the other side and kind of like bump into him. And even though he's been stopped from getting to the ball, we would not get that call because you would be like, oh, no, it had nothing to do with it. But I thought it was pretty clear. Yeah, I just didn't understand the amount of discussion, leave alone the outrage over the discussion. But we win the game. And not to mention that was, and I know, you know, we were hanging out for dear life. And I don't know if we were going to end up winning that game if we didn't get the third, to be f- perfectly honest. But end of the story is we get that win. A tough away game. Chris Bell is always kind of like tough. To, I know we've had some like ridiculous scores against them, but, you know, it's a place where it's kind of like tough to play. Get the three points. So with a game in hand, once we get that win, we're cut the deficit to six points. And you beat City, it's down to three points, goal difference and all that kind of good stuff. And that, this is why I think people kind of convince, you know, the league done too early. I mean, it's probably too early to get the hopes up and be like, oh, we're right in this. But, I mean, obviously the opportunity is there and that's all this team needs, I think, to keep kind of going. They're both going to have like a bunch of tough games. So the league is on and the race is on. And you know what other race is on? Well, actually, it's pretty much over between Kelly and Galley is in the Fantasy League. This has been... Holy, scrolling down, Batman, to find our friend Galley over here. I don't know if you looked at the ratings, but our good friend, the Polish Prince Mateusz, is actually in the 10th spot over our friend Galley, who is now almost 100 points behind Kelly. I know you keep giving us to talk about playing it a week at a oh, time no, no, and no. stuff, but I, I almost feel like it's time to bring Hodgson in or something and get you canned out of this team. It's almost time, yeah. It, it might be. It might be time to pull a full Watford, fire the manager, maybe. <laughs> if it was Watford, uh, I would be fired five times. Meanwhile, looking, scrolling even down further over here, unnecessary pet drama <laughs> is... 29th with 21 points and i have gained room people who would have thought with 41 points now i am only 18 points behind our friend bickler over here so bickler you should be worried not really uh because i'm sure i'll find a way to screw that one up but kelly is up now by 25 points looks like over dan bennett who has a streak of like poor weeks over here back to back to back so kelly has to be happy about that but bickler any comments on your fantasy performance and how poor it was i mean i've still got a fixture to go so i'm not worried about it plus i'm a little bit like the epl where i'm just trying to make this thing exciting you know pull it close let you catch oh, up a little I bit. you know what i mean yeah it's it's not fun when you like it's not last week you're so dejected and sad it's not fun I know. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. You know, yeah, keep me in the right. race. Just yeah, Premier League does with Liverpool. I appreciate it. Makes me, you know, reason to get up in the morning. Uh, Michael Martin says maybe Matt is too strong a word, but the inconsistency of VAR is definitely matting. I think, I mean, we can definitely all agree to that. Uh, and I think that's the biggest issue with any of these is the inconsistency. More than the calls being made, especially those of us who probably watch too much soccer, if anything, can instantly find the exact same situation we saw two weeks ago, last week, three days ago, where it was called the complete opposite way. Well, I mean, the whole concept of VAR to me, which I'm still torn on if I like it or not, we all know Stitch, my dog, hates it with a passion, uh, but is to eliminate that inconsistency. So even if the ref is not consistent, there's somebody else to come in and say, Hey, man, this is the rule. You either didn't see it or your interpretation doesn't go by the rules. This is what we're going with in terms of setting that standard. And sadly, we have not seen that. So that's probably like another good topic that we can hit while the boys are away on international break because God knows Bickler is not going to watch international football. And yeah. I don't even know if Turkey is playing for me to watch. Galley will watch just to get mad and we'll take advantage of that next week. Uh, a quick subject I did want to hit today, though. I did not want to talk to one about transfers and stuff this week. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about what didn't happen next Monday's episode uh, or on Thursday's episode where we will take it like the Thursday crew might be able to take a look at that. But one big topic was obviously the initial word was that the Keller is going to start the League Cup final uh, that we made. 
And then obviously with Ellison putting out this performance, everybody's like, why are we starting that? And there are people like Bickler who wants Allie to start and should not be a discussion. Am I getting that right, Bickler? Yeah, I took a beating on that this week, didn't I? Uh, I guess I'm in the severe minority here. Here's the thing. Do I think that he should start in the final? Kelleher, I'm talking about. Yes, because you started him in the semi, in the quarters, right? So for me, here's the thing, though. If you're in a cup competition, you hit the quarters and the semis. To me, that's when you start fielding your first team. And we don't do that with the rest of the team. You don't see us putting up Cade Gordon. We're not going to play Gordon in front of Mo Salah in the final. No, we're not going to do that. So, like, why are we applying this, like, weird rule to a goalkeeper because he's a goalkeeper? It makes no sense to me. We're going to be in a cup final. I don't care if it's the Mickey Mouse Cup. I don't care if it's a small competition to some people. It is a league cup final, and we are going to have arguably the best goalkeeper on the bench. And it makes no sense to me. Like, is this man management where you're building up a kid for the future? That's great. Maybe, unless he has a howler in the first five minutes and loses a cup final on a like a total error, and then he's emotionally destroyed, and he's carrying his 2.0, and he's out in California eating ice cream, taking pictures of it on Instagram, and we hate him forever. So, like, there's two sides of every coin. Like, this could be a good thing for him. It could be an awful thing for him. You, I think you start him because of the precedent you set. I just don't agree with that precedent. And I think we're treating one position entirely different than we do other positions. It makes not a lot of sense to me. And like the at the end of the day, when you boil it down to one sentence, you're you have one of the world's best at a position on your bench for a cup final, and I don't get it. And just to be clear, like it had nothing to do with you know Becker just saving us the game or anything like that. You were originally thinking that the start it has nothing to do with Becker's performances versus Crystal Palace, not at all. See, I was about to kind of like pound on you, but you know. I agree. I, that is a good point that you made that we would not start Gordon. So let's start with, uh, let's go to Galley first and then I'll kind of like throw in my two cents. But Galley, what do you make of what Bickler just said? And not the ice cream parts, the goalie. Well, parts. first off, I don't wish, I don't wish on young Kelleher uh, uh, a day on the Santa Monica Pier eating ice cream in California for Instagram because that poor Irish boy would get sunburned and look like a lobster by about 9 30 in the morning carrots might be able to survive but a good irishman like him is not making it right i i understand both sides of this um i have always believed you start your best line like you, you start your best players when there's trophies on the line that's kind of what i learned when i first started following this sport and someone had to explain to me why they played tournaments in the middle of the season that weren't any part of the regular season or part of any type of playoff, I was all confused. But then people told me these were opportunities to play squad players and bleed in other players throughout the tournament until it got to the money time. And then your best players play to win the prize. So for me, it was always like a prize fight, right? You send out your, you send out your fighters, you send everybody out. But when like the money is on the line, you send out the people who get the knockouts because that's how you win with your best players. So I would expect that. I will say this, Pep has done this at City where he picks a tournament, he gives it to the understudy and he allows his backup keeper to run all the way through even into the final. And his argument is you don't know that that person will ever be ready to play a big game until you let him have one. And playing in the fourth round of the Mickey Mouse Cup against Shrewsbury compared to playing in the final against Chelsea is a different kettle of fish, right? So maybe that's what Klopp's doing here. I've said this about Kelleher forever. People make it out there like he's going to challenge Allison someday. He's never, ever, ever going to be Liverpool's number one. But possibly playing in a tournament like this might just allow him to become some other big club's number one. And I think that's what Kelleher is to this club right now is he's a really good Number two, until they are given a bid that makes enough sense to make money. Because this kid's going to want to play first-team football. And Allison has five to eight more years at Liverpool in the first 11, in my opinion. Man, you guys make good cases. I almost like want to come back a week later and make my ruling on this. But... Um... <laughs> 
I understand what Victor is saying. Like, they let it says, you know, we should go all out. And we should. It is a trophy. And I know, like, the League Cup is, like, you know, when you're in it and about to win it, it's a trophy. When you kind of, like, roll the kids out there and lose it, it becomes Mickey Mouse and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's on the wall as a number. So it must mean something, right? So let's go win it. I think the reason... Initially, before Bickler made such a great case for it, I kind of like strongly agree with the Keller concept was we are partially here because of him, not despite him, you know, with his performances overall, like the penalty saves and all that kind of stuff. So he's had a good tournament throughout. So to reward him with that final only seems fair. Another thing I brought on the Discord channel in our fan Discord channel, which, you know, you should join if you're into, like, any kind of footy talk or if you want to hear about Bickler's potato love. Uh, but, you know, we – my point was I would think, you know, we talked about in the last podcast towards the end of it how much we like this team and how close and tight this team is and what makes this team great is because of that locker room. I firmly believe – and I know Bickler doesn't agree with this – but – you know, this is something that is decided throughout the squad as well. And I'm not saying they're going around and, like, you know, everybody's putting like a little piece of paper, curling it and putting it in the basket, and they're taking votes in the locker room. But the mm -hmm. leadership of this team, like, you know, they already knew that this was going to happen, including Ellison inside. Like, Ellison just did not find this out. This was going to be his tournament all along, regardless of what happens. And I don't think his expectation was for that. And as tight-knit as this team is and this locker room is, I think it's part of that culture where you want the other one to succeed as well. And I feel like that's a good reason by itself to have him get the opportunity he deserves and he's earned. And that's, I guess, the biggest word to me in that is the fact that he has earned that with his play and he has brought the team there. So... Even though I understand we should put our best lineup out there, I think the kid has earned the chance. But like I say, Bickler makes a good point. I mean, Golden has probably earned the chance too, but Tyler Morton, you're not going to do that. Yeah, right. Do you think, do you think, I'll ask you this one though. Do you think Mendy will be in goal for Chelsea or do you think they'll have Kepa in goal? I think it'll be Mendy because they're going to play for a trophy. But I don't care about that. No, but I understand what you're saying. saying. I know what you mean, but they're, they're putting out their best 11. And you're going out to play, you'd think you would at the minimum start that way. And I understand it. I, I think it's a great idea. Again, I think that it could be a big confidence booster. You know, this is one of those moments where if we win on penalties and the guy's jumping around like, you know, Jerzyk and he's going crazy in Istanbul, we'll all be like, oh, that clap, he's so brilliant, right? But if he but if he takes a tough one off the noggin and he rolls one out and some guy freaking side foots it into the back of the net and it's one nil and he gives up a howler to Lukaku, people will question and be like, was the twenty something year old ready to make that play? It won't matter. That's how this happens. This is this is when you put you put yourself in this position when you kind of go against the norm. And the norm is you get to a cup final, you play your first team regular. But he doubled down, and he did it a month in advance, which lets you know he has the players backing, and he loves the player. But don't kid yourself. Jurgen put more pressure on him by naming him the starter now than he would have if we found out a, one hour and 15 minutes before. And maybe that's part of this. There's always these underlying teaching moments. Maybe this is about his preparation and about his mental state right now because he's not going to let a, get a lot of game time. But don't kid yourself. Naming him the starter now made this a story on this podcast. It didn't need to be. Uh, I, I also don't think that how he performed. I mean, it was going to be anyway, I think, to be honest with you. But, Pretty I mean, because, okay, like Michael Martin says, I don't think Keller gets the nod if he didn't have the backing of the manager and the players. If they had the belief in him, roll him out there. And that's why, I mean, I agree with that. And like I said earlier, and not to mention, I think everybody knew this all along in the club. I, I think, Gally, you might be right in terms of getting more pressure through the fan base. But I think everybody in that, you know, like locker room knew 
what was going to happen. They, this was not news to them. This was probably more right. news to us. So if that's not news to them and everybody knew, why are why we bringing the know? why are we bringing the players into this? Like, oh, it doesn't happen without the players agreeing to it. Well, like if they already if like Klopp comes out very early on and says it's his tournament, what doesn't that like mean that the players don't have a say in it? Like that's how I read that. In like I've played in enough teams and enough sports to know like dude like players aren't going to go to Klopp and be like dude don't start him in the final don't do it like it, he's not ready. Like put like Allison's the best goalkeeper in the world. Put him in. Like that shit's not happening. No, it's that's not, not gonna happen. No, but right. at the same time, you're not gonna suddenly. You know, this is something everybody knew, and like including Ellison himself knew that this. Right. Was so the players don't have a say. No how far we go? And I, but, going back to like the whole like Carrius 2.0 thing. I mean, if we kind of play and manage and put out lineups with the fear of that. We would never play kids because any, I mean, Gordon, you know, like let's say Gordon misses that goal. to wide open that eventually we lose that game. I mean, that could come back to haunt him too. Well, right? and I'll be, and you know time. me, I did. I disagreed with the lineup in the semis because of that. I thought it was too kid heavy. So like, I'm, I know what you're saying, but at least like I'm, my argument's consistent for all the players, not just for Kelleher. Like I felt like the semis was like, I thought that was an unnecessary risk. I thought it wasn't smart. Say we don't win the league. Say we don't win the Champions League. Say we get knocked out of the FA Cup. Wouldn't it be nice to say that we won a cup competition? I think it would. Versus like making sure that the kids got minutes in a semi of a cup. Like, and this goes all the way to the finals. It just doesn't make sense to me. And this whole notion of, well, the players supported it. Like, the players didn't have a fucking say in it. Let's be real. They didn't have a say in it. I disagree with that. No, no, they didn't. Because they very early on and said this is Gallagher's tournament. But you think that just happens without having, I guess, I don't know if like back, like the okay or backing is not the right word, but yes, knowing that that is I do. accepted and respected throughout yes. the team. Yes. Yep. Hmm. Uh, like I like I say, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's like a dynamic that you would want. I'm not saying you don't let them run the show, but having them know the show. I think that I think that most of those players are smart enough to understand there's a lack of rotation in the Premier League fixtures. The rotation comes in the cup games, and it comes for the young players. And I think they understand that. Um, the the disconnect for me is like for me when you get to that stage of the tournament you go win it you put your best team out there. Hmm. I'm gonna have to we're gonna have to have the Thursday crew go over this as well because I really would like to play, get more takes on this and like I say I definitely understand Bickler's point in terms of like not ha- why not have it throughout the field and I I I think that does make sense but when you said that I was like yeah I get that I just feel like you know. Obviously, the goal position is a totally different position. So before we go, because we went over our regular time already with Bickler's potato recipes early on. But January next Monday is going to be the last day. By the time we record, we'll know what the hell happened. Are we even talking about a signing or are we talking about, you know, we're reading all the FSG out people's uh, comments. Galley, what's your gut feeling? Do we have anybody new in that squad? No, we have five new rumors of players that we're monitoring to be linked with in the summer. There's no one coming in in January, and if they do, it would be great. But honestly, if this club was going to do business in January, they would have done it on the first. Bickler, what do you think? I mean, I think they already said they weren't doing business in January, and then we're all going to act surprised, and we're all going to say FSG out and how tight they are. They complain about how we've never replaced Genie. Um, yeah, it'll be the yes. I'm going to call out sick. Yeah, I almost I feel like there will be a couple of players leaving, uh, either on loan or sold. Uh, but I think the market is still not where we want it to be, and I don't think we make a move. I mean, and you know, with all the complaining and worrying that was done for this January for not getting somebody to replace Mon Money especially now that we kind of like leaped over those games. Everybody's going to be back when we come back to the league and everything. I feel like, yeah, we're past. And knowing Klopp, I mean, anybody we sign, heck, does not play for freaking 
months anyway. So even if you bring somebody in January, when are they going to be useful? Like going back to what you were saying, yeah. November. <laughs> Probably exactly, yeah. So they're not November. Gonna be, exactly. He trusts them. He trusts them right after the World Cup. <laughs> Boys, let's bench, boys. So, yeah, put Gordon out there every day, Ox on the wing, and we got this. I mean, like you say, I think it was a pretty successful run to get that. I mean, it was this was a worry for months, and to be able to kind of like, you know, uh, leap through it. And, you know, we kind of like lost the points when we didn't think we would lose the points and gain the points when we thought we would lose them. But, uh, but at least we're in the race for one reason or the other. We don't know yet. Well, that remains to be seen. Gentlemen, thanks a lot. Thanks to all those watching, listening. Uh, do the liking, sharing, and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, we'll be back next Monday, but Thursday's crew will be here. Same time, 7 p.m. Central Live. And I really would love to see what those guys are going to say about this whole goalie thing and the tinfoil. And meanwhile, let's not forget, if you have any savory recipes for use of sweet potatoes, Send them in for our friend. No, you don't want any savory. Galley's shaking his head. You don't want. You're against sweet potatoes too. I'm a I'm an anti sweet potato guy myself. I'm not a huge fan, but there, it has its form. Can people please send in some good sweet potato recipes so we can convert these two guys over here to at least try? I'm not saying I'm a big fan, but it has its place. So for the sake of sweet potatoes and kettle corn, that. The place is in the garbage can. That's where its place is. I was gonna say its place is like that one. It's that one thing at Thanksgiving dinner I don't have to try to fit onto my plate. I just skip right over it. It's like I feel like I'm always fighting the losing battle, like fighting for respect for Afghan, fighting for sweet potatoes, fighting for kettle corn. My job is never done. You just compared sweet potatoes, kettle corn, and Afghan. And I actually feel bad for Afcon. Actually, sweet potatoes are called yams. Those, that's the difference between sweet potatoes and yams. Yams are actually originate in Africa. Sweet potatoes are the Americanized version of that thing. Anyway, sorry. Really? Actually, yeah. I feel like yams are totally different. We should no. do a whole podcast next no. Monday. There's nothing going on anyway in terms of a game. Where we yeah, just yam, talk about yams are slightly larger and stringier, but they're and they originate from Africa. But they were like when they came over and and seeded everything in America at Sweet Potatoes. Tell you guys what. Next week's trivia is going to be potato-related. So study up, Galley. And thanks to again all. Send in those recipes. Save me, please. See you guys next week. <laughs>